This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hi, this is Doro. Just a quick reminder before we get to our guest today that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is on Saturday, October 3rd. Due to the pandemic, this year, the conference will be held virtually, and all are welcome to join. You'll be inspired by luminaries in health and wellness and take home real strategies to improve your happiness and wellness. You can get all the information you need at AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com. And now for the show. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Catherine Malloy serves as president and CEO of Goodwill of Greater Washington and the Goodwill Excel Center Adult Charter High School, which Doro and I had the honor of touring a few months ago. To say we were impressed is an understatement, not only with the school, but with the leadership that Catherine provides to the school and the goodwill of D.C. Catherine has a distinguished career that includes hospitality, sales, broadcasting, you name it, and she does it all with strength, compassion, and grace. We are thrilled to have Catherine with us here today on HealthGig. I'm honored, truly honored. Well, we wanted to start just by asking you a little bit about you. We know your dad was Marine and you moved around a lot growing up. Tell us about you and your life and who you are. You started out by probably one of my most favorite topics, and that's my dad. My dad was one of those most special men, lived to be 99 years old, and just passed away in February, as a matter of fact, and was as sharp as a tack until the very last day. He created an incredible family with my mom. He was proud to be a Marine. He was equally dedicated to his Catholic faith. And through both that belief in God and belief in his country, he raised, I would say, four children who we are still close as we ever could be today. And how he and mom did that was They built a disciplined life. You could imagine being a Marine's daughter, it was disciplined, but filled with incredible love. And I will say that because of his career in the Marines, we would move every two to three years. But every two to three years, instead of it being, oh my gosh, we're moving again, it was, oh my gosh, look at the next great adventure. And they were both adventuresome souls. And so they looked at life through that lens. And as a result, I will say the basis for who I am came from that incredible blessing of being brought up in that kind of a household. And so that is the beginning of my life. And where were you in the family? Number two, I have an older sister, myself, then I have a younger brother. I also have a younger brother who died at childbirth, and it was the only time I've ever seen my father cry. And then I have a baby sister who we still call her a baby sister, but she's not much of a baby anymore, (laughs) but she still acts like it. So there you go. (laughs) We talk a lot about the importance and the health benefits of having good relationships. And it sounds like you were blessed with that. And how has that been important in your life? Relationships are everything. Relationships to your husband, to your mother, to your father, to your sisters and brothers. And that allows you to have incredible relationships outside of 
the family. You're kind of born into it and everybody kind of has to accept you. Outside, friends are chosen. So I think the closer you have strong relationships within, you can be a very strong friend outwardly because you learned how to be a strong family member inwardly. And so that taught me, my dad, I would say, and my mom taught me how to choose well for a husband. I've been married for 40 years and married an incredible man. I heard one time, and it's something that I tell our Goodwill Associates when I'm speaking. I heard one time that 90% of your personal happiness is based on who you choose for a partner. I always step back and I think about that because when you first say that, you think that makes sense, but it truly is. I mean, because you spend most of your time with your partner. And so therefore, if you have chosen well there and you are exceptionally happy in that environment, you take that with you everywhere. So I was blessed and chose well for a wonderful husband. How did you meet your husband? Oh my gosh. We were both in the hotel business and we met at a convention and I was always being a Marine's daughter. I was always the first to show up at every meeting. And I always sat in the front because my father said, you know, if you don't sit in the front, then you're not paying attention. And so I sat in the front. And so then this good looking man came up to me 43 years ago and sat down next to me and said, what's a woman like you doing in a place like this? <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah, it's a good line, huh? Yeah, it's been used a thousand times before. <laughs> but what had happened is the year before, he was a speaker at the same convention. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And he walked to the stage and I thought, if I ever meet that guy, I'm going to marry him. Oh. And a year later, I met him. And three years later, we were married. Wow, that is a great story. That really is. And now David cannot listen to this podcast because every time I tell that story, he rolls his eyes. <laughs> oh, that's so great. <laughs> Both of you obviously had busy careers. How did you make your marriage and your family a priority? We were both in the hotel business. And early on, we decided that one of us could not be in the hotel business because both were being transferred and what have you. And we believed that family was first. And so I chose to go a different route. I went into the broadcasting business. And I went into the broadcasting business because I knew that whenever David was transferred, because he worked for Sheraton at the time and they moved people around the country, that I needed to be in a career that I could also move along with him and that there was plenty of job opportunities. We had both been shown by our parents that God was first, family was second, and our careers were third. And so it's been a beautiful life. Catherine, it's so inspirational to hear you talk. And really what you talk about is the change that has happened in your life. You're moving around, making deliberate decisions and how you think embracing change is so important, not only in your personal life, but in a career. Could you expand on that and why change doesn't bring you anxiety? Change never brings me anxiety. And I think that goes back to, again, just moving around every three years and mom and dad's attitude towards it. But I think, and I'll even say this right now, in COVID-19, people say these are unprecedented times and we've never had times like this before. And What's it going to look like afterwards? And because of how I grew up, and even with my husband in the hotel business, we moved around a lot with him being in you know, the hotel business, change has always been the thing that I thrive on. And so while this is a horrible crisis, the question really is, is 
what is the change that will happen afterwards and how can you be a part of that change? And how can you actually grasp a hold of the change and make it advantage to your career and to your family life and to who you are? And so that desire for change has been very beneficial in every career that I've had because you know what? The only thing that stays constant is change. And so if you're not fearful of it and you can grasp it, it allows you not to have fear. You've certainly changed goodwill here in the D.C. area. (laughs) Could you talk to us about where you guys are and what you're doing and all the phenomenal work that's happening? Well, we've grown to an incredible goodwill of Greater Washington to 20 stores, and we have nine government contract sites. So we do cleaning at the Senate office building and Bowling Air Force Base and Bureau Printing and Engraving. And people never knew that we were in that business. And 75% of those people are people with severe disabilities. So we have an incredible workforce. We have a thousand associates. And four years ago, we started the Goodwill Excel Center, which both of you have been visitors there. And the Excel Center is an adult chartered high school. And it is the first of its kind in Washington, D.C., that serves adults who have left high school. And there is no age cap at our school. So we have students as young as 14, and our oldest graduates have been 72. And so it has been the mission of delivering education to those people who have not had a high school education. And I will tell you, as we look forward on the other side of COVID, and the unemployment rate is so high, it's going to be just astronomical, as you all know. 38 million people across the country don't have a job. And I believe that even more so now than ever, an education is going to be the differentiation between people being able to be employed when unemployment is going to be so high or sitting on the sidelines. So it excites me even more that we had the opportunity to start that school four years ago and that today it has matured into just an incredible educational institution within the District of Columbia. And can I tell you something, Tricia? We are high touch, high into your life. Each student has a personal coach that makes sure that they get to class, that they are on top of their studies, that if they have issues with homelessness or childcare or whatever, we walk beside them and not just walk beside them, we help them through every difficulty of their life that's possible. We've entrusted ourselves to them and they begin to trust us. And that's the whole basis for this education to adults who have never had someone to give them that before. So pivot, school closes, and it all goes to virtual. And I will say this, that Chelsea Kirk, Dr. Chelsea Kirk, who is our director, an incredible young woman who pivots fast and understands technology and understood with her team how to deliver it to our students and has done a remarkable job. Of 360 students, there's only 30 students who didn't come online to be a part of this virtual learning. We just enrolled a new 90 students into our next term. And it is because they've kept it as high touch in this virtual world as possible. So the coaches are still doing one-on-ones 
if you don't have a computer, we give it to them. So we have given them every possible way of having to continue their education. The gift of COVID is that these students have learned how to use technology faster than they ever would have learned before. And so today, our students are even better equipped for the world of tomorrow than they would have been if COVID never happened. How long did it take you to get up and running virtually? Two weeks. It is amazing. And I have nothing to do with that. I stepped back and I couldn't take credit for one ounce of it. Colleen Paletta, who is our chief mission officer, and Chelsea, the school director, they dug in, they dug deep, they dug quickly. They got the staff behind them, first of all, and they made the staff comfortable with how it was going to be delivered. And then they went out and with each student, just brought them in and brought them under the technology fold. But in two weeks' time, two weeks' time. Is the Excel Learning Center a charter school or how are you funded? It is a charter school, chartered by the public charter school system. And the public charter school system has been very progressive in D.C. They have done innovative learning within the District of Columbia and the charter schools. And so when we went to them to bring the chartered school, which had its beginning in Indianapolis, there was an adult charter school there at the Goodwill, and we wanted to mirror that here in D.C. When I brought it to the chartered school board, the board went to Indianapolis to see it before they went ahead and voted to bring it here. So very supportive, very supportive. You know, when people think of the goodwill, you don't think of your Excel charter schools. You don't think about the contracts that you've gotten with government contracts. You think of the stores, right? Yes. The public face of goodwill is our retail stores. You know, there's over 3,600 retail stores across the country. We have 20 here. And so people go, okay, well, that's where I donate my clothes to. What people don't understand is you donate a shirt to Goodwill, it goes on the floor, and while it's going on the floor, there are about 30 associates who are employed by that particular Goodwill store. So first of all, we're an employer, and we employ people who have been incarcerated, people who have disadvantages, people who are disabled, have disabilities. So first of all, a donor is supporting those individuals that are working at that store, we then sell it. And then with the proceeds from that sale, go to our mission. And so that allows us then to do such things as opening up an Excel center. It allows us to do such things as industry sector training, which we do within our goodwill. And so that one shirt moving through the process truly affects someone else's life and brings them into a world where they have an opportunity to support their families and to have a living wage for themselves and thus for the rest of their families. It's an incredible model. It is an incredible model. It is an incredible model and one that I think we kind of grew up with, at least the stores. Like you said, that's how we know, but we didn't know all this back of the house. It was like, okay, well, where's the closest goodwill and I'll take my donation there. And you felt good about it, but you didn't know the difference it created in people's lives. People are wildly cleaning out their closets now. So when do you think the Goodwill will be up and running? And then do people from the Excel Center ever go to work at the Goodwill? As a matter of fact, Goodwill of Greater Washington, unlike other Goodwills across the country, we kept our donation sites open because 
we knew that people would be cleaning out their closets and people still drop their donations off, even if there isn't a donation attendant there. So in order to make sure that we were environmentally safeguarding our stores and what have you, we kept our donation sites open. The donations did go down dramatically. I will say we were running about 40% of donations, but the donations were incredible because people were cleaning out their homes. It got to a point two weeks ago where we were overrun by donations and we had to go out and rent another warehouse and we filled that warehouse up. And then we are opening up another warehouse, but we said we have to stop because we just can't handle this. And we believe that when our stores open up again, those people who didn't realize we were open are going to just really flood our stores with even more great donations. So we had to think ahead, think, you know, what does it look like a couple months down the road? And so what we are doing now is we are just preparing for that onslaught of good donations and great customers back to the stores. Doro, in answer to your question, we are going to follow the jurisdictions of each of the counties that we're in as to when we'll open. All of our stores right now are fully prepared. We have the plastic guards, which are over the registers. We have the six foot of separation as far as at the registers, as well as at our Goodwill stores, we are doing the aisles as one-way aisles so that you really are following a social distancing throughout the actual store. If we could open tomorrow, we would be prepared to open tomorrow. So for the past month, what we have been doing is preparing the stores to be a safe environment, first of all, for our associates, and secondly, for those valued customers who will be coming into the stores. One thing that we talk a lot about on our podcasts and at our conference is about the mind, body, and spirit of our health, not only of ours individually, but also of all of your employees. Can you talk to us about that and what that means to you when someone talks about that? And clearly, Catherine, you're a woman of faith and it shows and your strength and your courage, it just comes out of you. And if you can talk about that too. First of all, we lead our goodwill by God first, family second, and goodwill third. I was taught from a very, very early beginning from, you know, not only my mom and my dad, but my grandparents, you know, God should be center. I am one of those lucky people that I don't need a lot of sleep. So the mornings begin at 4.30. And to me, 4.30 to 7.30 is the most priceless time of the day. It is spent first and foremost with God in Bible readings, in scriptural education, a good book. And Catherine, you're a Catholic. You were raised Catholic. You know, I was raised Catholic, but can I tell you something? I consider myself a strong Christian. And that means, and I will tell you something, I've been to Presbyterian churches. I've been to Episcopal churches. I do the gamut because where I go is I go to those areas where I think have great communities of Christ-centered teachings and of Christ-centered communities. And so, you know what? That's not always in the Catholic church. It's elsewhere as well. And I've been blessed that I've had Bible studies in great Presbyterian churches, and I've had wonderful masses at great cathedrals. So I consider myself a strong Christian, I will say, first and foremost. So after that time with the Lord, which is always first, then I go ahead and I exercise. And I exercise for an hour, hour and a half. And I run, and I love to run. And Doro, I will tell you, when you sent me the questions just for this podcast, What I love about running is you can start at the beginning of a run, and I tell people this all the time, 
and kind of in your mind, you deliberately say, today I'm going to think about the podcast and I'm going to think about those questions that Doro asked me. The mind is a beautiful gift from God. It just starts working and you start running. And by the time you come back and it's 45 minutes later, you kind of have in your mind what you want to say, how you want to say it. And also you've given time to pray a little bit and say, I hope that this comes as you want it to come, dear Lord. I hope that what I say is what you want to be said. And so that's the great thing about a run. And that includes not only like the podcast, but if you have a tough meeting with someone at work, you live it in your mind. And then when it comes out, it never surprises you by what the outcome is. And so then after that, it gives you time enough to spend time with that wonderful husband of mine. And then it allows me to really dig into work. That three hours in the morning is precious time. In the mornings, I have a ritual with my brother. We read the same devotional and then we send each other a passage from it. And then we decorate it with emojis. But it's the way I start my morning. We get up very, very early and I can't wait to go to my phone to see what verse he picked or I'll do mine first. You used to have a ritual with your dad. Can you tell us about that? So my dad started 30 years ago at six o'clock in the morning, my time, which is really five o'clock because he's from St. Louis. He would call my older sister first and then myself and then my brother and then my younger sister. And he didn't expect you to answer your phone, but he would say the Our Father every day to each one of us. And he did it for 30 years. Never missed a day. When he was in the hospital a couple of times, you know what? I don't care what was going on. He would call every single solitary day. Then I would call him on my way home at night. And he would say, okay, so Catherine and Cecilia, he would always do the whole name. What's on your schedule for tomorrow? And you know, if I would have said last night, if I talked to him, I would have said, you know what, Dad, tomorrow I'm having this podcast and here's who I'm talking with and this is what it's about. And he would always say, Catherine, just remember to be yourself and then get out of the way of the Lord. He would always say, get out of the way of the Lord. And so tonight, the first thing I have is my way said, okay, so how did it go? What did they ask you that you didn't know that you should? I mean, he was so involved in what was important to us. That's who he was. One thing the three of us share in common is that we all had great dads. When I grew up, I discovered that not everyone in the world had close relationships, and I was shocked. So I think we're lucky. We are. And you know what, Doro? I will say this, that at the Excel Center, and it's about 70% women, 30% men. And the thing that I'm always very mindful of is as you said, we grew up in incredible homes with incredible fathers. Most people are not like that. And you have to be very mindful when you talk about something that we take naturally, that people yearn for because they didn't have it. And I will tell you, the women down at the Excel Center, they are strong role models as mothers within their families and within their communities. And it's been because the father has not had a presence in the home as much. And so you also learn how to value what you had because of seeing what other people don't have. We always say the GEC students come to us to learn and we learn more from them than they ever could learn from us. And that's one of them. I admire these women tremendously because of how they've led their families through probably situations where there was not a stable male head in the family. And it's something to admire in these women. 
to really respect. That's a perfect segue into what we wanted to talk to you about next, which is women in leadership and the role of women in this new world of the virus. And so tell us about women in leadership and who taught you the most about being a woman leader and what did you learn and how did you learn it? I worked for Stephen and Mitch Rails, and they owned the broadcast stations that I worked for. And I watched these two men take the radio stations from, quite frankly, little somethings to major entities within broadcasting in the Washington, D.C. area. And I will tell you what I watched. They are students of business. They are always looking at how does somebody else do it? They just thirst for the knowledge of business. Well, I thirst for the knowledge of leadership. I've always wanted to be a student of leadership. So when you ask that question of who was it, I don't think it's one person. I think it's everyone that I can grasp hold of and you hear a little bit. And then if you're a student of it, then it doesn't mean that you just study it. It means that it becomes a part of you. And so I will say that leadership to me, it's not a technique. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Those are two different things. A technique you can learn for a minute and it doesn't become a part of you. A lifestyle is a lifestyle that becomes part of your life. And so, Doro, there isn't any one particular person. There's probably hundreds of people that I have worked for and had the opportunity to go ahead and to learn from. I'm learning from you and Tricia today, and I take away what you all talk about as a part of that leadership. Now, women in leadership, I will say, in the past, there was this big push for servant leadership. I think through COVID, this is a time of listening leadership. There is such great fear going on right now that you can't say, well, this is the way I feel. You really have to figure out how everyone else is feeling around you. You know, talk about your health and your mind and your body. Every one of us, God created differently. Every one of us. And I think before, as a leader, you'd say, that's a hill we're going to charge now. Let's all do it together, and we're going to charge together that hill. And when we get to the top, we would have won. And you kind of mass people together to come behind you. And what I'm finding is this COVID has brought people to a place where people are scared, they're nervous, People are finding strength where they never thought they'd find it, or they're finding fear where they've never thought they'd have it. And it's something that is uncontrollable. None of us are in control of this. It's the great equalizer, and it's across the world. So I think that in today's leadership, I think we really need to follow more the status of our people, meaning, where are you today? How are you doing? And how is your family doing? I think you need to know your people more personally. It's not just a distance. It's a more knowing them personally. I think you have to engage more with people. And this right here, this virtualness, you can still have a strong personal relationship. You just have to look at them, look at their eyes, body language, which is being seen. And then I think you need to just keep your eyes and ears open and question and follow through with when somebody says something. You don't just leave it there at the table. You come back to it. And how do women have that? You know what? Those are all innate women characteristics. We lean in with the heart. 
we lean into here, we lean in for the caring. And so as far as women are concerned, I think it's a time when women in leadership will excel because of what's expected. With the emphasis on relationships, we love hearing that because Trish and I do a lot of work with something called co-mindfulness, where we have these principles like deep listening and leading with curiosity, not judgment, methods to enhance our relationships and make them better. And this time of COVID is a time to do that. There's a recent study, and it's an ongoing study, Harvard study that talks about how good relationships and solid relationships really are what create a healthier life. So you can still be obese. You could drink and you can smoke, but if you're lonely, you're not going to live as long. And the statistics do say that as you get older, the more friends you have, the longer you'll live. That's a social relationship advantage for a longer life. And that's what struck us as you were describing the Excel Learning Center and with the personal coaches. I mean, it was just unbelievable. As you said, the touching points and the way people felt like they belonged there. You know, you had someone checking in. I mean, it just seemed incredible. And you could see success was going to happen in so many different ways because of that personal touch and because of that reaching out and connecting with people. What's interesting about what you just said is one of the things that keeps on coming up time and time again is when we ask the students, why do you come to the Excel Center? What's different about the Excel Center? And what do they say? Somebody cares for me here. And care is the sign of a relationship. If you don't have a relationship with somebody, you don't care about them and they don't care about you. But a relationship starts with, do you care about me? And do I care that you care about me? That's what COVID is really, I think, going to show is that people are going to want to be seen more. They're going to want to be heard more and they're going to want to be valued. And they're going to want to really feel that, you know, that kind of was a tagline for great leadership. I think now it's not a tagline. I think it has to be the actual physical, true deep culture within an organization because this is not just a one and done. You know, it's not like, okay, they're going to open us up and we're going to be in phase three and everything is going to return, like as if nothing ever happened before. I think this has happened and I think it will be with us for lifetimes to come. Catherine, you've been in broadcasting, you've been in hospitality industry. You've been in not-for-profit and education. Is there anything left for you to do? Doro, I thought about that question on my run this morning. And I thought, you know, what I have never done is what I'm doing right now. And that is, there is every single solitary leader across the globe is having to understand how do they pivot their organization from out of COVID into the future that is a whole different role. It's a whole different career. And so I thought about that and I thought, you know, I don't know what I would have answered if you'd asked that question six months ago. I don't know what I would have answered, but I know what I'd answer today. And that is I right now have been put into a new career that every other leader is also in the same exact space moving forward. And it's so different. It is a time of change that we have never experienced, but we're all experiencing it together. And so my question to myself is, how do I grasp hold of that change, grasp hold of that career change, and truly be able to 
make it an asset moving forward to the people who I work with versus making it a stone around the neck. And those are two different ways of looking at it. It could become a stone around the neck. Oh, woe is us. Look what happened. Or it can be, how do we move forward and really challenge all of our careers in this new environment? And you don't even have to change jobs. Isn't that funny? You don't even have to change jobs. I don't have to go anywhere. I just got a new career. We always say, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. That one saying really hits home for what we're all going through right now. So Catherine, is there one book that you think everyone should read? I bet this is not going to come as a surprise to you all. I think the greatest teaching book ever is the Bible. And you do not have to be a Christian. I think if you read through the Old Testament into the New Testament, there are just incredible, beautiful ways of how to live a life. And we all try through books and we all try through our teachings and what we talk about to say, what are the 10 best ways to do this? And what are the seven best ways to do that? And what are the five best ways to do this? And if you go to that one book, you will find everything that we try to talk about in every book. I'm always amazed at that. Do you have a favorite quote? I do. Micah 6, 8. And Micah 6, 8 says, and what does the Lord require of you? How many of us ask that question? You know, what is the Lord really requiring of me? And the answer is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I don't care what statue of life you are. If you really act justly, and that's in everything that you do, in all the relationships and all the things that we talked about, if you love mercy, if you love the outcome of great grace, and if you're humble, what a great life to live. We're so inspired by you, and thank you for being on our podcast today. You know, when I said this was going to be like coffee with friends, it turned out to be just that, coffee with friends. So I thank you both. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.